Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys awake yet? Did you have your morning coffee adventures? You've sung. You have a little bit of reviving from your late night adventures. Well, since we're going to jump on to Psalms chapter 12 today, all right, let's just read that real quick before we pray. Uh, For the choir director upon the eighth stringed lyre, the Psalm of David, help Lord, for the godly men cease to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men, and they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and the tongue that speaks great things. Who have said, with our tongues will prevail, our lips are our own? Who is the Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the uh, afflicted because of the groaning of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, refined seven times. Thou, O Lord, will keep those... Uh, and thou will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Hmm. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, we just lift up this time together as we uh, delve into it, that, that you would open our our eyes to, to understanding our hearts to uh, be sensitive to your moving of your spirit. Uh, we just praise you as uh, we begin in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, once again, we have this introduction, unlike uh, the last one that didn't really have an introduction. This one says it is a uh, psalm on the eighth strength lyre, a psalm of David. Now, if you'll remember... Um, in Psalms chapter 6, that's the only other reference to this uh, Shimonoth, which is the eighth stringed lyre. Um, and you can go back and listen to that whole sermon if you want to understand a little bit more about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, but it's interesting. I'll, we'll, we'll touch back in chapter 6 here in a few uh, verses down because they say a couple things that I think are are interesting connected. Anyway, he starts with a really simple prayer, and I think that's important that we start when we're having trouble. We start not with just all this words and desperate, you know, pleading over and over and over. It's real simple. David starts with one word. He just says, "Help." 
I think that's that's a real prayer. And, and I think that's where you know you're in desperation <laughs> when all you have is a one word to put out. Help. Uh, I think of um, oh, Peter as he gets out of the boat and he starts sinking. And, and he's... He's acted on faith and he's ready to do what he's supposed to do. And then he looks around and he's like, wait a minute, this isn't safe. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in a good place. And he says, help, Lord. You know, we all get in those situations. We all feel alone. We all feel desperate at times. And especially when godliness ceases around us. Verse 1 says, help, Lord. For the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and double heart they speak. And and we can often be in that situation, whether it's at work or at school or, you know, all kinds of situations we get in, we end up being the only person there following Jesus and we're desperate we feel alone in the situation we have and it reminds us that that we need to call for help we need to call on the Lord to empower us in the moment that we need it first Kings 19 uh, Elijah said I've been very zealous for the Lord the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. Elijah struggled the same way. He felt completely abandoned by the people around us, around him. But God said, what you don't see is the real reality that's going on. Kings 19, 18, just a couple verses down, he says, I've left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. And he left a remnant. There's always a remnant left. Romans 11 reiterates the story, and in verse 5 it says, In the same way then, there has also come to be at present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And that's the reality. There's always a remnant, no matter what it feels like in the moment. And sometimes you don't have connection with that remnant. And that's one of the great things about having a congregation to come to, to, to re uh refuel each other and, and just build each other up and encourage each other in your your daily life because often we don't see each other during the week sometimes and we need that we need to be encouraged but God leaves a remnant Jeremiah 8 5 why then has the people Jerusalem turned away in continual apostasy because they hold fast to deceit and they refuse to re return. The reality is for David, for Jeremiah, for Elijah, there is a 
lie being perpetuated in society. And society wants the lie. And when evil is rampant, that's what happens. There's this uh, propagation of lies. Interesting, in, in the next chapter in Jeremiah 9, he says, they bend their tongue like a bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone be on guard against his neighbor. Don't trust any brother, because every brother deals craftily. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and doesn't speak truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. And they weary themselves committing iniquity. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and assail them. For what else can I do because of the daughters of my people? They've taught their tongue to speak lies. You know, I, I had a friend years ago who his mother had, had taught him to steal. Um, she, you know, they grew up really poor. She was an addict and, and from a very young age, he was taught when you go in the store, you, here's how you take stuff because they'll, they'll replace it. It'll be fine. And that's how he lived. And it was really hard for him to overcome that, that teaching. And in the same way, there are people who have been stuck in this rut of lying and deception all their life. And it's a reality that we need to overcome. There is deception out there. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that same rut. In any any aspect of deception. Because we are to be those of truth. We follow a God of truth. And so all of our experiences should be true in reflection of him. Interesting, the falsehood here uh, can be translated emptiness. It has the idea of falsehood, and it carries this idea of speaking irresponsibly and with insincerity. They just say whatever they want to say. They don't really, you know, there's no value to it. Derek Kinder says, A double heart significantly traces the double talk to its source in their double thinking. For this deceiver becomes the one of his own victims. Becomes one of his own victims. In other words, he believes the lies that he's propagating. And we see that in society today. There are clear untruths going on. And people readily believe them. And they keep repeating those lies. In his warning about teachers, James says, we all stumble in many ways. 
If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. He moves on um, in verse 6, saying the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets, is, sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Peter two, Second Peter 2 says false prophets also among, uh, arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and become, uh, because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their judgments from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. God is aware of what's going on. God knows that the lies are there, but he's calling you to truth. Interesting. Um, um, Psalms, maybe uh, speaking of, of 2 Timothy 2, he talks about the time of the apostasy. When in the church there's going to be this falling away, this drawing to a lie, a deception. And it says in Thessalonians that um, the coming of the Lord will not come until this apostasy happens. And we need to be in prayer for one another that we do not fall into that apostasy. Because there is a deception coming. And we need to draw in near to the Lord. Because there is coming a time when we're going to look around and say, where are the righteous? They can't be found. So what do we do about that? Jude 20, 23 says, But you, beloved... Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We need to be, have hearts for one another. We're all capable of falling. We're all capable of sin, and we are to be those who love one another, building up each other in faith. David moves on and says, May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips. The tongue that speaks great things who have said, with our tongue we will prevail and our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? 
that lets our desire that lies stop, that the deception is corrected. In reality, this was a common punishment for lying. In, in um, the Far East, they would literally cut the tongue out or cut the lips off because of their deception. And once again, we see the problem comes back to pride. Who's the Lord? Who is he? And I would pose this, this is also an American problem. Why are we endowed with certain inalienable rights? Specifically, the right of free speech. And that right comes from the Creator, right? It's very clear in our, our own documents. But the reality is we will be held accountable by him for our misuse of that gift. Exodus 4.11 says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. God is in our midst, and we need to follow truth and his truth. A chapter later, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides... I'm not going to let him go. And that's the desire of the adversary for us. That he brings us to keep a mindset that denies who God is. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us in, in truth. And we need to cleave to that. Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood, speaking truth to one another with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. God's desire is for us to be recognized as bearers of truth. And we need to guard that because that is the position he's put us in. Moving on, verse 5. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. The reality is God can only allow evil for so long. And he will act. He answers David with a promise. And the promise isn't immediate destruction of all these people. I think that's interesting. 
It is a promise of protection. I will set him in safety for which he longs. He establishes us and protects us. Interesting, Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. It's interesting Verse 5 here, why does he arise? Because of the groaning of the needy. And Romans tells us that it's the spirit that groans when he's praying for us on our behalf, which is really interesting because this word groaning is only used in two other texts um, in the New Testament. And the... Uh, one of the other two texts specifically is quoting the Old Testament, which brings it into the Hebrew, which brings this exact word back, the groaning. You know, often we don't know what to pray. We're really confused on the situations. And sometimes it's our desire. God just cut their tongue out. <laughs> And God says, no, that's that's not quite the answer. We're not going that far yet. <laughs> I'm going to put you in the right place. And that's what we need. We need him to pray for us. Because we don't know. Uh, as I said earlier, this ties back to Psalms chapter 6. Um, verse 6. Um I'm weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eyes have wasted away with grief. And it's become old because of my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. And the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. This uh, verse 6, uh, weary with sighing is the same word, groaning. I'm tired of groaning myself. And what happens when we get tired of groaning? The spirit starts groaning instead. And he starts praying. And then God hears. And I think that's neat, that he hears the groaning. In, um, it's with such groanings that the, inter the Spirit intercedes for us and our need calling the Father to act. It's also used in another point in Hebrews. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For this would be unprofitable for you. We don't want to grieve leadership. Because when we're doing something unrighteous and your leaders are groaning over your behavior, it says here, it's going to be unprofitable for you. Because God upholds the righteous. And I'm going to leave that right where it is because you guys can explore that a little bit on your own. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, refined seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them and you will preserve him from this generation forever. I think it's really interesting that we have contrast here. You have these boastful people, the prideful world. Flattering lips of the wicked. And the purity of truth proven and refined in the furnace of earth. Lies skew the reality that's around you. You know, when you look at something that's being refined, when it's got other impurities in it, you, you don't get a reflection. But when it's purified, you get this mirror image reflection, and you actually see what's going on. The words of the Lord are that. They are a reflection to let you see what's really going on. And as we cleave to them, as we study the word of God, we recognize that purity and it removes those deceptions out of our reality. Because sometimes we are the deception. We are deceiving ourselves. And we need to be removed from the image that we're seeing. We need to look to the pure words of God. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It stands forever. Interesting verse earlier, he's talking about how we are like grass. We're not going to stand forever. We're all going to fall, just like any other plant. His words will remain. And as we abide in those words, we remain. Interesting, the word keeps this verse seven, O oh Lord, the Lord will keep them. Um, it's it's preserve or protect. He'll watch over or or observe and do them. And Jeremiah reiterates this idea in verse chapter 1. I'm watching over my word to perform it. He knows what he said and he's faithful to do it. The, the them here could be the promises of God, that is the word of God, 
or it could be them as the afflicted. In, in either case, he keeps them. He keeps the words. What were the words? That he's going to protect and he's going to establish the righteous. So either way it's translated or understood, the point is God protects us. He guards us from this generation. Actually, uh, that word generation could be breed. There's a certain breed of people that are just about false words and evil and unrighteousness. And he protects us from that breed. John 17, 5, Jesus prays not to take us out of the world, but to protect us from the evil one. And while we should be desperate for the return of Christ, longing for him to take us out of this world, we also understand that Jesus' prayer is not that. It's to leave us here so we can draw others to Christ. And that should be our heart, to draw others into truth so that they can feel his blessing. Verse 8, David ends the psalm reiterating the point. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. The idea is this peacock mentality. I'm proud. I don't really care about you. I'm, I'm the only thing that's important. On the other side, it, instead of just strutting, this could apply to prowling as if the wicked are on the hunt, implying that, that the atmosphere all around you is an atmosphere of, of oppression and danger. How did society get to this place? It was their own creation. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. The, the word vileness could also be translated worthlessness or insignificance. So in other words, David is, is saying for future generations, this is a warning to guard against exalting things that are worthless and insignificant and vile. And as people celebrate these things, pride grows and becomes more and more emboldened and society degenerates. And we're seeing that right now. And once again, God sees it. He hears our groans and he hears the groaning of the Spirit, which joins us in the frustration. And the Father is acting on it through his word, which is true. And we can entrust ourselves to that today. So I just challenge you. 
be people of truth and entrust yourself to his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it won't return void, that it's a light to our path, guide to our steps. Lord, we want to be led by you. Guard us as the deceptions of this world so readily try to deceive us. Hide us in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.